Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Ken Harrison, who is the president and chairman of Promise Keepers, CEO of Waterstone, and author, among much more. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for joining me and Ken Harrison today. If this is your first time, welcome. It's great to have you. You're in for a treat. If you're a longtime listener, if you've tuned in a few times before, thank you so much for your continued support. Today's conversation with Ken, we discuss a lot. We start with his recent book, Rise of Servant Kings. He shares the inspiration behind this book. Um, and, and helps distinguish between servant king and servant leadership, uh, which some of us might be familiar with. He takes us through his journey serving as an LAPD street cop in Watts and Compton, to then becoming a real estate mogul, to heading up a, a charity and being the chairman of the board, and working through these diverse jobs uh, and his learnings along the way. Um, he touches on masculinity, manhood, what's important, um, what we need to think about. Uh, is are these bad things first of all? Um, and and then he elaborates more into uh, into promise keepers and the work that he's doing with this organization. This conversation is awesome. We go in a lot of different ways as usual um, and, and cover a lot of his journey, uh, his book. Um, and just a lot of great wisdom along the way. So without further ado, let me turn it on over to my conversation with Ken Harrison. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Ken Harrison, who is the president and chairman of Promise Keepers, the CEO of Waterstone. He's an author, among much more. Ken, thanks so much for joining me in the Guys Like Us podcast today. No, thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so first off, I know you, you just released your your book, Rise of Servant Kings, in May of 2019. Uh, so congratulations, first of all. How, how has that been over the past few months now? Well, thank you. It's been doing really, really great. And uh, the media has been phenomenal. The Christian media has been grabbing on to, uh, to the message, I think, because there's just so much uh, hunger within men for someone to just teach them what Scripture says about being a man. Absolutely, I know. Right now, just in the in the times that we're in, and the, kind of the discourse that's being uh, it's it's being pushed around, and in, in you know media kind of at large is really uh, is pushing back on this uh, on manhood, on masculinity, and kind of are putting the the whole kind of idea of it into into question. Uh, so, kind of based on what I don't know, I know what I've been seeing. I want to hear what kind of inspiration led you to. Uh, to to develop this book and what were some of the things that uh, were important for you in, in, in creating this message? Well, I found that men don't really know what it means to be a man anymore. They we've lost our identity and we've we've accepted what the world says. And part of that's because we have not done a good job. Um, I'm 51 years old of teaching our kids what the Bible actually says. So, so many of the younger guys today really don't have a clear understanding of who God says they are. And so it's easy for them to get deceived by the world. And I found that so many young guys are just so hungry 
when I start talking about scripture, man, they light up and they want to hear about it. And so many of these older guys, they put down the younger generation. I suppose that's sort of a constant thing that's gone on from the beginning of time. But it's like, man, if, if the younger generation doesn't know much, then whose fault is that? We're the ones that we're supposed to have taught them. And so I find that there's this deep inward hunger of guys to say, tell me who I'm supposed to be. Tell me what God wants from me. And then, and then a challenge to say, you know, one of the most masculine things you can do is to know Scripture. And to know Scripture so that you can know God. Not so that you can have more information or win arguments or give somebody some set of rules, but so that you can truly know who God is. And then when you know who God is, you know who you are and what you're supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, the, the point that you just touched on uh, is this, this, this seeking to know, this longing to know, not for own you know persuasion or, or self-interest but rather to uh to to step into to who god is calling you to to become um and, and just the the title of your book i think sets that up quite well rise of the servant kings what the bible says about being a man can you talk about um in, i guess this title in particular of being a servant king i know some people are probably familiar with servant leadership uh, others may not be but what is what does it mean to be uh to be a servant king. Yeah, no thanks. And you're right. There's a contrast from just servant leadership because being a king is a whole lot more responsibility than just being a leader. Mm-hmm. And we're called to be kings in our own sphere of influence. And for a single man, that means that you are accountable, you, uh, for the people who are in your charge. You're accountable to make sure that all the women that you know can treat you with respect. You're accountable for standing up for the bullied, the poor, and the oppressed. You're accountable for standing up for justice, for what's right. You know, right now, we have a premeditated murder of one million babies a year going on in the United States of America. There has never been an abortion in the history of the world that a man didn't have something to do with. And so often it's happening because men get a woman pregnant because he's gratified himself temporarily, left her with a pregnancy, and walked away. And so we know that we don't cause unwanted pregnancies because we we have sex with our wives and only our wives. But if we sin and we do, then we we stay there financially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically and raise that child. And uh, and then we care for the needs of women that we may not have had anything to do with, but we see desperation and need around us. And we care for the, the needs of that woman to help her to choose to keep that baby. And then uh, in our families, we're responsible for the spiritual state of our wives and our kids. We're responsible for making sure they know scripture and for giving them proper perspective through God's word on the nonsense they're hearing from the world every day, which of course means we have to know scripture in order to do that. And so we're kings, not as rulers, but as servants. And um, it says in Ephesians 5.25, a man should love his wife like Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? Well, he gave his life for the church. And the Bible says the church is, is Jesus's bride. And it says in the Bible that Jesus is working hard to present his bride blameless and spotless to his Father in heaven. And that needs to be our responsibility. We're going to present our wives blameless and spotless to our Father in heaven. And what would that do for our level of respect? And what would that do if our wife knew that was our attitude towards her, towards her respect for us and how she responded to us because she knew she was totally and completely cherished? Mm-hmm. Um, the... the point that I want to kind of draw out there is um, you, you had mentioned these spheres of influence. So these different, uh, I think, uh, relationships that we're, that we're having, whether it's within our family, um, whether it's within the church, uh, whether it's um, kind of out, out in the public. 
um, kind of what these 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 more public issues. Um, so these these different situations that were that were put in um, kind of re- require us to to have this consciousness, to have this alertness of, hey, I, I have a responsibility here. I, I have there, there's something for me to do here. Um, kind of how how can I recognize that, and then how do I kind of know the 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 steps to take, and obviously through these through having our understanding of scripture and seeing the the importance of these different spheres is obviously really important. But I, I know kind of looking back at your particular experience in time, I know that uh, you had mentioned in uh, through your LAPD training um, on, on being situationally aware um, and, and just kind of. I, I don't, I don't fully know kind of what that what that means in, in that situation, but kind of can you can you elaborate on on that uh, on that topic and how that relates to being a being a, a husband, being a father, being a, a servant, uh, a servant, uh, a servant king. Well, I used to be an expert witness, and, and so you asked me about twenty seven questions at once here, so I can weave those all into an answer that's Sorry. satisfactory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, situationally aware. So um, my first shooting on the LAPD, I was a police officer down in the Watts Compton area, and um, we had a bad guy that we'd already arrested. And in LA, you have a partner, and so the the driving officer drives the car, and then the other officer rides in the back seat with your bad guy. So we had just chased down a gangster with a gun, arrested him. He was in the back seat. My partner was in the back seat. And we decided to take a turn down 56th and Western on our way back to 77th Station uh, Jail. 56 and Western was a brutal area with murders and, and drugs going on constantly. And so we would try to drive down that block as often as we could. So they were constantly seeing black and whites come down. And as we were coming down the street, parked on the side of the road, we see a guy in a car, driver's seat, blood pouring down his face, and he's yelling at us. And we see a head sticking up behind him and his shoulder jerking back in a weird way. And we realize there's a guy in the back seat with a gun. So I yell at my partner, gun, I jam the car to the, to the curb, and this guy jumps out and starts running with a gun in his hand. And normally, you know, we would shoot really fast in L.A. I mean, if you had a gun in your hand, we shot. We didn't play around. And so um, normally guys knew that, so they would drop a gun immediately. But this guy wasn't dropping his gun. He was running from us, which had warning bells going off in my, in my head. He's not dropping a gun like normal. And then he turned to fire, got his shooting, and I shot him, and now he went. So afterwards, um, they, they did it. There were a bunch of witnesses around. It was just such a heavy drug street. There were so many people out all the time. And there were like 40 witnesses. And so the homicide detectives who do the investigation, robbery homicide, they, um, they asked me to describe me what happened. I told them, I said, well, what about the other guy? But I said, well, there was no other guy. There was just him. And I repeated what happened. And then they played me the tapes. Well, there was another man in that car, another bad guy who had a gun. And I became so focused on the one guy I said jump out with a gun, I didn't see the second man go out of the other door and run away, nor did my partner. Now, had had he decided not to run away, he could have walked up and shot us both in the back. And it turns out this was a drug execution. This was a hitman. So both of these guys were professional killers, um, easily could have taken us down. I was not situationally aware. I was not looking at the big picture, I became so focused on my interests. And so we take that into life and we say, when you look at the responsibilities that we load upon ourselves as people, but specifically as men, hmm. we say, I must make more money. I must do this. I must do that. 
um, and we become so hyper-focused that we forget the bigger picture and we miss what's going on in our families. We miss what's going on with our wives. We miss the needs that we see all around us. And we're seeing this more and more from guys. Now, to go back to the very the beginning of your question, which is, what's the problem? Well, if we look at the beginning of time, men have been trying to run away from accountability. I mean, Adam was told by God, not Eve. Adam was told, don't ever eat from that tree. And we see Eve getting deceived, and Adam apparently is sitting right there. We don't know for sure, but it appears that he's sitting there letting Eve be deceived by the serpent, and he's waiting to see what happens to Eve. And then she takes a bite of the fruit, and the world has now been under a curse ever since. And as Adam runs off to hide, and God comes and says, Adam, what did you do? What is Adam's answer? Well, that woman you made did it. So what does Adam think? Well, it was Eve and you, God. I didn't do anything. And we've been doing that as men ever since. And so the hallmark of masculinity is being accountable. No, 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 Adam. You were responsible for making sure that your wife didn't eat from of that fruit. You had the word. You, I gave you, Adam, the words to give your wife. And to this day, we see men not doing that, or at least not doing that in love. And we, we seek to dominate, we seek to rule. When it said we should be serving, we should know God's word and come to our wives and kids as servants of theirs saying, man, I really, really want you to have the full joy and power that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Mm. And here's what I've seen in scripture. And we don't argue. We don't try to puff ourselves up for control. We pour ourselves out as servants to our families. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I love how you connected back to the, uh, back to Genesis as well. And, and seeing the, some of the origins of, uh, man's, uh, failure to, to accept ownership or, or, or accept responsibility, uh, and putting it on, on, on somebody else or really not owning up to, uh, this, this duty or this responsibility. Can you maybe share some practical examples of, um, of how you've seen or kind of how you uh, would, would, would pr- or what rather what, what you'd promote um, for, for men, uh, maybe, maybe not necessarily within their family, but outside of their family, how they can be uh, more accountable to, to each other and, uh, and kind of really, really sharpen off each other in this process. No, thanks. That's a really great question, Tyler. Um, we have an epidemic in our country of the friendless American male. Uh, it is. If you look back again, it, history gives us a great perspective on the present. And if we look at history, we see that, that people had to come together in villages to survive, specifically men, because there wasn't technology. So you had to have a blacksmith and you had to have someone who raised horses and someone who farmed the food and on and on and on. And we had to come together whether we liked each other or not. We were interdependent. Mm-hmm. And there were lifetime relationships amongst men in order to survive. And the same thing was true of women. You know, they would... You think about the idea of cooking dinner, you had to go kill the chicken and clean the chicken and on and on. And it was a whole day event and women would have to go and do the laundry together and yeah. hang the laundry together. <clears throat> so um, we had to do life in community. And now, really, we're not interdependent. The problem, though, the difference between men and women is that men only form relationships when they do stuff together. We don't, we don't call someone just to have a chat and we don't go to tea together. I mean, men... They go hunting and they play golf. And these are all ways for us to experience life together. And so how do we then translate that outside from family? Well, we see this broken world. And I'll tell you, one of the most broken things in our society and in the church is single motherhood. That, that women are being forced to be vastly stronger than they're supposed to be 
because too many men, again, as I used earlier, they're gratifying themselves in the moment, leaving that woman with a child taken off. And so when men check out of responsibility and accountability, it's women who suffer. Men suffer too, but less directly because they're playing video games, they're surfing porn, they're obsessed with themselves, and women are left raising children by themselves. And so what can we do? Man, what if every man who loved Jesus got together and said, I'm going to take the responsibility for one fatherless boy. And first thing is, I better be a respectable guy to do that. But then I, I go within my church or my sphere and I say to the mom, would you mind if I took your son just for an hour or two a week mm. and just ask him questions about his life and his dreams, his aspirations, because nobody else is probably doing it. And I took him to a ball game. You know most women would be so overjoyed that somebody took responsibility and just taught their son how to be a man. And, and you know, the funny thing is one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. If, if we all took responsibility to do that and we read some books, we studied scripture and we poured them out into that 14, 15 year old kid, what a difference we could make in the world around us. Yes, absolutely. So, so there's this there's this gap that's being, uh, but really this opportunity that we can take advantage of uh, of the, these places in our in our lives where, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, single mothers who um, who who have their son and they're you know spending a lot of time and uh, you know, spending time in school, but then there's this there's this extra time that uh, where there's no really father figure or mentor figure pouring into uh, into their life and and. Having having men who are as as you mentioned are uh, kind of responsible and, and respectful for themselves first and have developed what it mean uh, really what it means to be a, a serving king and then uh, mm-hmm. pushing this and promoting this um, and, and just living into that example uh, with these with these young boys and men. Um, can you? I, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper on on masculinity and. Um, the the state that we're in now, uh, I think of some of the ideas that are being pushed around or being surfaced. Um, I, some people may not be aware of everything that's been going on. Can you uh, elaborate on some of the these ideas? Uh, it, are are they bad? Kind of how can we uh, diagnose this problem? Well, um, let's take gender fluidity for instance, which has really come to fruition lately. And what John Stone Street from the Colson Center says is. Uh, what was unthinkable 10 years ago has become unquestionable today. Hmm. And uh, this gender fluidity nonsense. I mean, let's just think about this for a minute. A man has zero consequences to sex in the natural, right? Outside of the law, you gratify yourself and, and then you run off. A woman has life changing um, potential for every sexual encounter, right? A child. Right. And in, in the natural, many women, died in childbirth. So imagine the different ways that we would instinctively approach sex as man and as woman. And by the way, just free sexual advice for guys out there listening, this this goes to show the importance of making your wife feel protected, cherished, provided for. Um, That will have a great effect on how she responds to you as a man when you make her feel that way. If you just think about for a moment, if you put yourself in her shoes, in, an, in the natural for a man, sex is a self-gratifying thing. Mm-hmm. And for a woman, it's a massively potentially life-changing event. Right. But back to your point, mm-hmm. how does that affect gender fluidity? Well, obviously, you would completely view the world differently, based just based on pregnancy and not pregnancy. So the idea to say that someone who could get physically pregnant 
is a man because she decided she's a man is insane. And Zvit ditto with, with a, a, a male, a male who says, well, I'm really a female. No, you're not. You have zero instinct in you to have a baby, to understand what that's like. And that really is a, is a hugely defining thing in us. And then you add physical strength and all the stuff we can go down that road forever. So just gender fluidity it itself is, is craziness. And we need to stop for a moment and just pull ourselves back and look at things through a logical lens, um, as well as a godly lens. So these lines that are being perpetuated on us, why is this so important? Because it says in Genesis 3 that God created male and female in his image. The fully masculine man and a fully feminine woman together are the image of God. A man is not a reflection of God's image, and a woman is not. But together, um, when they come together as one flesh in marriage, that is a reflection of who God is. And so if we can destroy our idea of true masculinity of what a man is and what a woman is, that we destroy our actual image and our perception of who God is. And if we lose our idea of who God is, well, now we're in a mess. And that's where we find ourselves today, really. We haven't stood up. And, and just, by the way, as, a, as an aside as well, we've been attacking femininity a lot longer than we have masculinity. We don't value strong women in our culture. We, we value imitation men. When we think of a strong woman, we show some police officer or firefighter. What about a strong mother? What about a woman who has sacrificed her career and had children and raised those children, that's a strong woman. And we don't value that in our society at all. So I, I think that you know, masculinity is just coming to a fruition and it's a much more visible thing. But we've actually in our society, and this comes from Satan, we've been destroying both masculinity and femininity for a long time. Right, right. And I, I think there's, I think you hit on one, one important aspect at the end there is we've been, uh, we haven't been, uh, we've been devaluing um, the, the incredible role that, that mothers play or that uh, just in the sacrifices that are, that are being done um, in order to, to uphold a, uh, uphold the family, uh, to grow um, their, uh, their kids while, you know, somebody's at work or, or, or whatever it may be. And, and I think that's kind of a, microcosm almost of where we've gotten in kind of the our role within culture as well of how um fast things are changing and and uh what that is it's it's putting a this i think this newfound responsibility on on men now one that um i think just was i mean partially with the rise of technology of how fast we're required to adapt um but there's this almost this response time that we're that like we're not catching up to um, and, and we're letting kind of culture this these 21st century ideas just setting our setting our worldviews for you know and I I think the problem is that I mean this is this is nothing new um, human sexuality has been uh, this is this is from, from this begins in the Old Testament this is you know thousands of thousands of years old these practices um, and now that it's getting more buzz or more popularity in culture doesn't mean that we that we succumb to this to this change uh and i think that's kind of another problem at large is that we're letting whatever kind of comes at us and we're 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 not as careful uh as to what we absorb and what we say hey there's there's a fine line here that we that we have to reject that's a really great point and one of the things i tell men all the time i tell people all the time is that when we read scripture, we don't change God's word to meet our worldview. We change our worldview to meet God's word. Mm 
Right. It is an unchanging, everlasting truth. And no matter how much things change, the more we see that God's word is the true and it's not changing. And, mm. and Paul warns us not to be thrown to and fro by every new wave of doctrine that comes along down the pike. And we're getting blasted right now with so many different things, again, because we don't know God's word. The most masculine thing we can do as men right now is to read the Bible mm. and to come at it with a humble heart that says, Lord, teach me who you are mm. and teach me who I am. And don't come to it with your preconceived notions or what some priest taught you when you were a kid or some pastor said. I mean, and, and those may have been very wise things, but mm. but come to Scripture absolutely each time, no matter how much you think you know, even a guy like you, Tyler, that knows Scripture really well, but come to it each moment with an empty mind, an empty soul, an open hand to say, Holy Spirit, what do you have to teach me today? Mm. And it's unbelievable, these life-changing truths that just permeate through your soul when you come at it with that open-handed, humble attitude. Wow, absolutely. And I, I completely agree. And there's, I think that's, again, it's a lost, it's a lost form. People aren't bringing their, their Bibles to church anymore, or uh, just this Bible has become, you know, and I have no qualms against, uh, you know, read, uh, reading the, the Bible on your phone. But there's, um, I think when it, when something takes away from our, uh, our, our yearning or our sense of kind of, of appreciation for it, um, I think it calls for us to kind of to take a step back and make sure that we're coming with uh, the same kind of that same passion and that same uh, hunger to 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 want this these words to come alive to us and to know that hey it's gonna it can speak to me different differently and it can bring something new or it can you know reinforce an idea or re- reinforce a uh, something uh, that that I that I've already believed and, and strengthen it um, and I think uh, it's it, it's as you mentioned, keeping the gospel central and not putting it aside and, and comparing it to other other things, but rather having that view and start to explain things through that gospel centric view. Um, I, I think is incredibly important. Um, I, I wanted to shift a little bit into into. I, I know you've been doing a, uh, a lot of work with your book, but also with Promise Keepers as well. Um, which I think is particularly important for uh, just for for men and for this podcast. Can you explain, or rather, just introduce us to Promise Keepers and, and some of the work that you're currently focusing on? Yeah, Promise Keepers. Seven million men went through Promise Keepers in the 1990s, and it was a pretty simple concept. It was NFL stadium stadiums full of men. Um, and then it came to a great fruition in 1997 when 1.4 million guys got together in the Washington Mall, yeah, the biggest gathering in the history of Washington, D.C., to worship the Lord. And uh, it was such an unbelievably ground-shaking time. And I think, you know, it's funny, guys come to me all the time with the what their impressions about Promise Keepers were. It was life-changing for so many people. One guy just told me two days ago, uh, I was in the green room with him on a TV show, and he said... Um, I went to Promise Keepers, and when I got home, my wife said, who are you? And uh, he said, you know, she always wanted me to brush out her hair, and I just never did. And then once I went to Promise Keepers, I thought, why wouldn't I brush out her hair for her? And now, 25 years later, I still brush out her hair all the time. It's been one of these things between wow. us. It's been this great thing. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. what, what's gone on. But um, so Promise Keepers is, is, is 80,000 guys together worshiping in a real authentic and amazing way. And 
when guys talk about what happened at Promise Keepers, they never actually mention the speakers. And even though all the speakers, they, these are the greatest preachers and speakers in the world that we have at these events. It's the power of the men together, the authenticity, the realness, guys in tears, repenting of their sins and really making life-changing commitments. Um, and it's also, I think, a feeling of not being alone. I think nowadays we feel more alone than ever as Christians and as men. Um, is any, you know, is the whole world gone mad? Well, in AT&T Stadium in Dallas is our first comeback event, um, July 31st and August 1st of 2020. Uh, tickets are going to go on sale August 1st. Um, but it'll be 80,000 guys together, and I think we're going to look around and go, oh, I I'm not alone. And we're going to hear those speakers and go, holy cow, I'm getting God's word preached to me mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't heard in a long time, if ever. So that's really what Promise Keepers is. It's a gathering of a whole bunch of guys in, a, in an NFL stadium. That's awesome and very encouraging for for men to come together and uh, and in in 2020 um, coming back to um, some some core some core principles hearing hearing some speeches and uh, of just to really strengthen each other and, and, and walk along uh, in, in this journey together. Um, so I I hope that uh, folks listening had the opportunity to to dig more into your book. Uh, I don't want to get too far into it. Um, and also, or, or look into promise keepers as well. Um, but to to wrap up, is it, if there's one piece of uh, advice that um, that men should hear right now, can you uh, would you mind sharing what that would be? Wow, that is a great question. <laughs> I wish I had a, an answer ready at yeah. the helm. Um, you know, I would say, and I've said this quite often. I say this in the book that that humility is a sign of a person who's in love with Jesus, hmm. and it is really necessary for us to judge who really loves the Lord. It's important if you're looking for a wife right now, how do I know if she loves Jesus? It's important for you to look in your own self. How do I judge my own walk with Christ? And by the way, you know, one of the world, things the world has told us over and over again is she just says, don't judge. Well, it says in Second Corinthians that a righteous man judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. Let's remember that the word judge has two weak meanings in the English language. It means to condemn or to discern. When Jesus said don't judge, he meant don't condemn. We are to discern, judge, right? And so when we just judge or discern who loves Jesus, um, we see in men the outward expression of true humility is courage and generosity. And so as you look at yourself, as you look at a business partner or someone you want to link with or a mentor, or someone whose words you think, should I really listen to this person? Does he really has something to offer me? understand that lots of guys know the Bible well who, who don't have the best of intentions. And lots of guys can fake humility or fake being good Christians. Lots of guys may even have a huge church. But you want to know who really loves Jesus as a man. It's someone who's courageous, who will always stand up for what's right, despite the cost to himself, who will always stand for justice. And someone who's generous, not just with his money, but with his time, his spirit. Mm -hmm. It's someone who notices, hey, that, that girl over there has a really down look on her face. And he walks up and says, is there something I can pray for you for? And it may cost you two hours while she cries on your shoulder, but she just desperately needs someone to care. This generosity. So I'd say if I had one piece of advice for you as a man to judge yourself and for you also to judge others is to say, who do I really want to put my trust in? Look for humility and the outward expressions or generosity and courage. Fantastic. Well, that, that's a great way to, to, to end. And uh, it's been a pleasure 
having you on the guys like us podcast today and um for the for folks that have that uh, have made it through the, the this episode i hope this was a, a a blessing for you and you can take away um if not anything this this last piece of advice of of leaning into to courage and to generosity and seeking out people who who model these um these these values these virtues uh in in, in seeking out mentorship or leadership so thanks so much ken I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. Thank you.